The belief that God became man and dwells among us in Jesus Christ is at the very heart of Orthodox Christian life and worship. Orthodox worship, therefore, involves the whole person, heart, mind, body, and soul. In our services of worship, Christians pray and sing in liturgies that are not of this world. Ancient Faith Radio now presents Singing the Triumphal Hymn with Father John Finley, exploring the Orthodox faith through music and liturgy. Father John is a composer and musician and is with the Missions and Evangelism Department of the Antiochian Orthodox Church. Here's Father John. We continue in our series on the Divine Liturgy with the next lesson entitled Liturgy and Education. What we want to try to accomplish in this lesson is to gain a grasp of the inseparable connection between faith and worship. And uh, another way of putting that might be uh, to, to gain a sense of the relationship between liturgical experience and education. In our, our mind's eye, we might see the place of liturgical experience as the nave and sanctuary of the church and the place of education as being the classroom. But what we want to try to do is show that there is an inseparable connection, that there is a relationship between these two things and try to discover how they interact and uh, play on each other. Also, we want to uh, introduce the whole educational concept of liturgical catechesis. The word catechesis, and most of us have heard the, the word catechism before, but catechesis is oral religious instruction. Um, and in former times, mostly it was conducted before baptism uh, or chrismation. To teach by word of mouth. Sometimes, you know, we think, well, I can just pick up a book and, and I can learn about it. But catechesis is oral instruction taught by word of mouth. And this implies a relationship between the teacher and the student. And this is a very important dynamic. I know in uh, my own life, I've met a lot of people who are inquiring into the Orthodox faith. They want to become members of the church. And they've already read a ton of stuff. They've already uh, sort of, uh, well, in a manner of speaking, catechized themselves. They they come saying, you know, I've read this book and this book and this book. I, I believe in the Trinity and the Incarnation and the Seven Incumenical Councils and, you know, all, all these different things. And uh, I might say to them, okay, well, let's... Uh, uh, coming to the church then and let's make the sign of the cross and they don't know what to do and uh, let me show you how to light a candle and uh, venerate an icon and uh, make a bow and kiss the cross and and whoa whoa wait a second you know they're they're frozen in their tracks i i don't i don't know how to do any of that stuff and i don't know if i even want to do it i i've got a lot of questions about that and so then my feeling is, all right, now it's time for catechism. <laughs> we, we might uh, describe that process of inquiry as information and the process of catechism as formation, being formed in the faith. So 
We begin with this uh, question, how long does uh, catechetical uh, instruction last? And Father Alexander Smemon, in his book, Liturgy and Life, addresses this. At the beginning of the second century in Rome, catechetical instruction lasted for two years. It seemed obvious then that a person would become a member of the church only after learning its teachings and assimilating them and truly understanding its laws of life. During the period of missionary expansion of uh, Christianity, adult baptism remained the prevailing custom, but when this period came to an end, uh, infant baptism became the norm, and catechesis became the self-evident form of post-baptismal instruction of church members. This may raise a question with people. I know it raised a question with me when I was first inquiring into the Orthodox faith because having been uh, raised in the Southern Baptist Church, I was taught that a person needs to come to what's called the age of accountability before uh, they would be baptized and uh, become members of the church. In other words, a person is not simply relying on the faith of their uh, parents or their sponsors, but they come to the conviction on their own that I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ to come into my life to save me from my sins. I need to dedicate and devote and commit my whole life to him. And I still believe all of this, and all, all of this is important. But I guess the question is, then what do we do with infants and small children until that time? And the church in her wisdom has said that we can give them the grace of the the holy baptism and unite them to the church as they grow into the faith. And then they will come to that age of accountability. And we hope that they will then take on this faith and live this faith as their own. And that this is uh, an important transition in uh, every Christian's life. We pray in the prayer of baptism when we say uh, the prayer over the water and grant unto this water the grace of redemption, the blessing of Jordan, make it the fountain of incorruption, the gift of sanctification, the remission of sins, the remedy of infirmities, the final destruction of demons, unassailable by hostile powers, filled with angelic might that those who would ensnare thy creature will flee from it. For we have called upon thy name, O Lord, and it is wonderful and glorious and terrible unto adversaries. And when I read that and I heard that in the baptism service, I thought, well, I want that for my kids. I I want them to, to receive that and to participate that and to grow into that and be enlightened by that so that when they come to this age in their life, this decision point in their life, this transition that they will say, you know, this is not just the faith of mom and dad. This is not just their church. This is my church. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I accept this Christian faith as my own and want to live uh, as a Christian for the rest of my life. So this leads us to, you know, the next question, what is the Orthodox Church's attitude towards the instruction and education of children. Father Alexander continues, In Western churches, catechesis remains an indispensable prerequisite for confirmation. 
that is for the sacrament of chrismation administered at the end of childhood. The Orthodox Church has maintained the traditional link between baptism and chrismation as a diune sacrament, like a, a double sacrament that's conducted at the same time through which the believer becomes a member of the church. Though the various Orthodox churches have not elaborated a generally mandatory form of post-baptismal catechesis, it's generally and unanimously accepted that children should receive Christian instruction and education. This general conviction shows that the principle of transmitting the rule of faith and the rule of life to the members of the church is an organic and essential part of church tradition. And so in many churches, the bishop comes and he lays the hand on the child when they reach, well, say, uh, age 12, I think is customary in a lot of churches. And this is called confirmation. And they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through that laying on, on of hands. And what we do in our church is uh, we do the same thing only through a holy oil called uh, Miron, a holy chrism. And it is uh, blessed by the patriarch and it is uh, delivered out to the churches through the bishop and the priest administer this for the gift of the seal of the gift of the Holy Spirit at baptism at the same time a person is baptized. So we might ask then, what is the liturgical character of baptismal catechesis? Uh, what is its connection with the structure and the content of the Orthodox services? I think a great example uh, of that is to uh, look at our Lenten services. And Father Alexander uh, talks about this. Another Example is the structure and content of our Lenten services. They cannot truly be understood unless we know that their purpose is mainly catechetical. See, what, he, what he's saying here is we, we have the services, these liturgical services, but their purpose is instruction. Their purpose is education. In the early Christian church, the baptism of catechumens took place during the vigil service on the night preceding Easter. And Lent, therefore, was a time of intensive preparation for that, that sacrament of enlightenment or holy illumination, as baptism was then often called. We can see it best in the Lenten order of Bible readings. The entire book of Genesis, Isaiah, and Proverbs are read during these weeks. Why? Because they contain the real clue to an understanding of the scriptures as a whole. Because they outline the true dimensions of the revelation fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Wow, that's quite a claim. He says in Genesis... The themes of creation, fall, and covenant. In Isaiah, the theme of the messianic promise and the image of the Messiah who takes upon himself our ills. And in Proverbs, the crowning of human wisdom, experience, and knowledge 
with the revelation of divine wisdom, the incarnate logos. That's awesome. You know, Genesis, creation, fall, covenant. You know, his, his covenant with Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham. Isaiah, we get all of these scriptures that are speaking of the Messiah. Many of us, most of us are familiar with uh, Handel's Messiah, the big uh, oratorio that's sung every year in just about every town in America uh, around Christmas time. And we hear these verses from Handel's Messiah out of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and, and so on. All of these prophecies about the coming Messiah. And in Proverbs, human wisdom, experience, and knowledge. Proverbs is the book of Christian morality. And it's still the book of Christian morality. We want to know what's what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's smart and what's not smart to do. The book of Proverbs, it's awesome. And it will always be the book of moral instruction of the church. But Father Alexander continues because Lent culminates in Holy Week. During Holy Week, the reading of Exodus replaces that of Genesis. The book of Job takes the place of Proverbs. Exodus is read because this book describes the journeying of the chosen people to the promised land, to the Passover, which is fulfilled when Christ the Messiah performs his exodus to the Father, as we read in uh, John chapter 13. And he becomes our Passover, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, taking us into the promised kingdom. The book of Job is the climax of the Old Testament revelation of the suffering servant, the one who conquers evil by his complete humility, love, and obedience to God. Thus, all the basic themes of the Christian faith and of the contents of church doctrine are unfolded in their inner coherence. The Old Testament is revealed here in its full spiritual reality, not merely as an abstract truth, but as the foundation of the New Testament, a path leading to Christ a promise and prophecy fulfilled in him. And yet, this is of great importance, this truth is unfolded not only through reading and commenting on text. It is liturgical. The readings are set within the context of services which reveal their true meaning. So let's ask the question, is there an advantage to hearing the scripture read in the church services as compared to simply reading or listening to them outside of the worship context, outside of the liturgical context. This is a, a very important question, and I want to keep reading from Father Alexander and then give you uh, an illustration of this. The Deep Sigh of Repentance which continuously resounds throughout the Lenten services. The call to repentance, to recognition of one's utter weakness and sinfulness, establishes in us that disposition 
which enables us truly to hear the scriptures, to understand their real meaning. On the other hand, the structure of the services, the harmony of the reading, the ritual and prayers, the entire movement of the service gives life to the text and gives them that pitch which makes them ring true. Remember that. The services give the scriptures the pitch that makes them ring true. The reading of the gospel and its explanation in the sermon is not merely an insert into the liturgy of the catechumens. We are led up to them and prepared by coming together in the church. By the solemn blessing of the kingdom with which the Eucharistic service begins, by the Psalms, the entry into the sanctuary, the singing of the thrice holy, and the ascension to the high place. And for a person who is not familiar with the you know specific uh, texts and movements of the divine liturgy, you know you may not be able to follow it that well. But uh, we're going to get into that later in this series. These actions are not merely symbols. They are sacred acts through which the church prepares herself for the sacrament of the word of God. During the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts, and this is the uh, evening liturgy which we celebrate on uh, Wednesdays during the season of Great Lent and in many of the churches on Wednesday and Friday evenings. During the liturgy of the pre-sanctified gifts, the priest, after reading from the book of Genesis, takes a light, a, a candle, a taper from the altar, and blessing the assembled faithful with it says, The light of Christ illumines all. This action means that the gift of understanding of that which the faithful will hear, and at the same time it points to the ultimate meaning of all the scriptures, it points to Jesus Christ. And then finally, the culminating point of the liturgical life is the service of the Holy Saturday with the burial. This is the day before Easter. With the burial of Christ, the 15 prophecies, the white vestments replacing the dark ones. During the season of Lent, we wear purple, and then on Easter, we go to white. And the announcement of the resurrection. This service if it's really understood, is a complete catechesis of Easter. I can recall in my own life, I was a member of the Evangelical Orthodox Church, which was formed in uh, February of 1979. And we were on the road of discovery of the Orthodox faith and the holy traditions of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church trying on our own and in some uh, ways isolated to incorporate many of the liturgical traditions of the church. We had looked at the services of uh, Holy Week and Easter, and I can remember looking in the lectionary. It had said that the gospel lesson for Easter was from the prologue of John. And I was kind of upset by that, and I thought, well, why aren't we reading the Gospel of the Resurrection? I mean, we weren't we weren't doing all the Holy Week services at that time, and I didn't know that the Gospel lesson for the Resurrection was on Saturday, the day day before Easter. 
and that this uh, main Easter service constituted the new beginning of the church year and uh, that we began with uh, the gospel of John and the opening verses of John. Well, then as the years went on, we began to look at a lot of the customs. And one of the customs was to begin in the church in the complete dark. And a light candle comes out from the sanctuary and all the faithful holding their candles in the darkness begin to light their candles. And the priest comes out singing, Come ye take light from the light that is never overtaken by night. Come glorify the Christ risen from the Gradually, it gets lighter and lighter and lighter, and the procession comes through the central aisle and out around the church, and we march around the church three times and then come and stand in front of the door. And standing in front of the door, we read the gospel of the resurrection from the gospel of Mark. And I thought, well, there it is. There's the gospel account of the resurrection. We sing Christ is risen from the dead and come back into the church flooded with light, every light, every candle, everything lit, singing the Paschal Canon. And we do the the Paschal Matins, the Paschal Orthros, and go into the divine liturgy. Everything is just electrified. So we came to the time of the gospel lesson in the divine liturgy. And we began reading from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. And when I heard that verse, I was so filled up. I thought, what other scripture could possibly be read at this moment? Jesus is the light of the world, and the uncreated light of Christ shines from the empty tomb, and it has overcome the darkness. The prologue of John is an Easter lesson. It is talking about Pascha. It is talking about the resurrection. And I would have never known this. I would have never seen it. I would have never understand it outside of the context of doing what the church from time immemorial has done on the great Paschal night, making that procession around the church with the candles and reading this gospel lesson. This is what it means 
that there is an inseparable connection between what we believe and what we pray, between liturgical experience and education, we're not talking about just rational head knowledge. We're talking about enlightenment. And we can receive enlightenment from God when we hear the scriptures unfolded within their liturgical context in the church. And that was Father John Finley with Singing the Triumphal Hymn, Exploring the Orthodox Faith Through Music and Liturgy. If you would like to write Father John, his email is singing at ancientfaith.com. That's singing at ancientfaith.com. This is a listener-supported presentation of Ancient Faith Radio. The 